Welcome to Cancer Out Loud, the cancer care podcast, a show featuring conversations with people living with cancer, caregivers, survivors, loved ones, and the bereaved. Cancer Out Loud illuminates topics like self-advocacy in the face of barriers to care, end-of-life arrangements, meaning-making, and how personal relationships are impacted by cancer. This podcast is produced by Cancer Care, the leading national organization providing free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Hi, Kimberly. It's it's so nice to meet you. We're so happy that you have joined us on the Cancer Out Loud podcast. If you wouldn't mind just starting out by introducing yourself, letting us know who you are, where you are, if you feel comfortable, and a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm Kimberly, and I am the CEO of Infinite Being, which is a company that does outreach to help others find their best life, especially after chronic illness such as cancer. And I'm so happy to be here with you today and uh, with the Cancer Care family. I already feel close to you as I've used many services and I'm very grateful to the organization as a whole. Amazing. And how did you find Cancer Care? Just Googling. You know, I think once you get over or through the news, the initial shock of diagnosis, at least someone like me will go into research mode about anything that I can find. And that was part of my my research. And can you talk a little bit about your experience with being diagnosed with cancer? Sure. Like many people, I think it was out of left field for me. (laughs) I've been part of what I consider the fitness world and wellness for some time and really thought I had kind of a handle on life. And this came like right in the middle as I was starting to do new things in my life. And it was quite the shock. The, The news came after in less than a year after having an opportunity for an exam prior to that. And it was definitely something that I did not even expect. I was in fact like, okay, let's get this going because I have a bunch of things I have to do. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And, And when you were diagnosed with breast cancer, was it, was it a metastatic diagnosis at that time? It was. It was. They actually tested me. I I went to the hospital. They were having some some day for, you know, Women's Day. And if there was great celebration going on, you know, check in with your health. And I thought, well, before the end of the year, I'll go. And this seemed like a nice little opportunity to have. They had like little chair massage and little thing, you know, little things. And so I went and I was actually excited. I started talking to people and really vibing with people. And I was excited to kind of go through the day and see what see what that held. And lo and behold, they found something and they weren't too concerned. They just wanted to bring me in for more testing. That day got longer and longer. And I noticed during the day, as I would pass by now, instead of there being a, hey, Kimberly, you know, upside, really positive. People got a little bit 
sad, a little bit more solid. And I knew something was going on. And, you know, I'd never been held that long either or had that many tests done. And then they made me come back the next day. And then they brought in, you know, heavy hitters in terms of doctors to retest and more invasive tests. <laughs> so it, it got to be a lot. So I, I do remember, you know, starting on a real high note and just being really concerned by the end of the day. And in fact, my friend was like, well, why didn't you have someone go back with you? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you ask me? They just happened to call. So they, they came with me. Even getting the news, the doctor came in after like the second test that day. And she came in, she didn't look at me. She just kind of looked down at the ground. And I was like, no, really devastated. It's really significant that so much of what you remember from that very stressful experience was the way that other people were sort of behaving towards you and either avoiding, you know, eye contact with you or whatever, whatever else that was that you were picking up on, you know, and, and one of the videos I was watching on your YouTube channel, the infinite being YouTube channel was like what not to say to someone who's newly diagnosed. So I'm sure lots of folks out there listening to this will be able to relate to some of that I don't know, just sort of feeling invisibilized or kind of brushed off or having to kind of navigate all those different dynamics in the room. The doctor's not making eye contact with you. You know, someone's saying something that is not helpful. And it sounds like you've done so much work to really um, parse out, you know, specific tips that people can can take away of like, here's what to say and what not to say. So I definitely want to jump into that. But I'm just struck how grounded it sounds like you were able to stay amidst all of those, you know, dynamics and all of that uncertainty. And it must have just been a really stressful 24 hours for you. Definitely. And I think a lot of people go through that. For me, resilience is my superpower. Mm. So, you know, I'm I'm always going to come back up to the top just like a buoy in the water. But it, it does take time and it does take the work and processing and realizing. And certainly you mentioned the YouTube that I don't want anyone to have to go through that on either side mm -hmm. because it is quite difficult to hear the news. I mean, most people hear Charlie Brown's parents want, 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 want cancer, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and then the, the other people, especially if they've not been through it or they're super close to that person, many a time it's, it's about like, I really don't know what to say. And it's okay to say that. Sometimes it's okay to just say nothing and hug the person, you know, so they, they you definitely feel another person's energy when you take a moment to check in. And if, if all else fails, how would you feel? What would you need, you know, mm. to be able to help that person? Right. So definitely. <laughs> and I'm so glad that you're spreading awareness around how to communicate after a cancer diagnosis because it affects everyone in, in your life. It affects all of your relationships as the person who's diagnosed. And I think it can be so alienating and so isolating for someone who has cancer because there's that sense of like, well, I don't know what to say, so I'm not going to say anything. Or I don't know what to say, so I'm just going to, you know, wait. Disappear. And, <laughs> right, disappear or, tell, or wait yeah. for them to tell me what they need. 
And that's a tough question. I know a lot of people have gotten that question. If you've not been through it, you don't know what you need. Right. So you're just kind of navigating together if that person wants to be in your life. But that's another thing. You, you kind of learn who's who in your team. And it's kind of like a, a business situation. You have to figure out, okay, who are my heavy hitters? Who are the, the people that are going to be totally in my corner regardless? You know, there's going to be some anger. There's going to be some sadness and other emotional shifts. Who's that person that's got my back? Who's the person that that knows all the appointments when I get forgetful or the person that steers me in a different direction when I sort of go left because I don't want to deal with it? Mm. You know, so many emotions. And then you have that whole management, of the cancer side of it, mm-hmm. not just the actual physical treatments and all of that at doctor's appointments, but just all of it is is just a lot on one person. And it's kind of like a person who just got out of kindergarten and then you hand them a bunch of books Mm. and then they're in college and they're completely lost. Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. So that is such an apt metaphor. You know, it is a, a whole learning experience and most people don't have the knowledge or tools to navigate the cancer treatment experience until they need to have them, right? <laughs> until they're thrust yes, into exactly. that situation. So it is so overwhelming to receive the diagnosis in the first place. There's all these communication dynamics that you're speaking to. And on top of that, you're just trying to learn day to day, you know, how to get through it. And, and you know, I know that clients with metastatic breast cancer that I've spoken to you know, are, are, are always curious to know about like different treatment options and, you know, making decisions around that because it is so specific and it is different than like a stage one diagnosis. So what was your first kind of step in terms of your treatment? Like, how did you navigate getting into that? Well, of course you asked the question why and how, and, but I thought I, everything was fine. (laughs) You know, that this, So once you realize, no, then you're starting to research, you know, well, what does this exactly mean? When my doctor gave me the news, I I thought, okay, out of control, does that mean I'm going to die? And then if so, when? I mean, we're all going to die, but, (laughs) you know, in terms of the when and, and, you know, what do I do? What types, what are my options? Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the questions and didn't really have a huge team around me to pull and, and, and ask for help. And anyone I did ask for help, they, they didn't know. So it was kind of up to me to look things up and, and try to figure out what questions to ask. In fact, I remember getting to some doctor's office and they're like, well, how do you know to ask these questions? And I'm like, I don't know, just been doing my research. <laughs> and then you, you learn as you go. So, you know, and everyone's obviously everyone's experience is different and everyone's treatments will be different. So, you know, that was something that I that was completely new to me because I didn't realize that cancer is kind of this catch all phrase. So that was that was definitely a situation where I a lot that I had to get through in terms of, you know, the journey in terms of knowing exactly what I'm supposed to do next. There was no clear said answer. I thought there would be in searching, but no. Right. It sounds like you right away knew that you would need to be your own best advocate. 
And, you know, like you, you said, you're a, a buoy who floats to the top, you know, and, <laughs> and that certainly sounds like you were very proactive in making the best decisions and making sure you were as informed as possible, you know, and, and that can be really hard to do when you're under that much stress and your life has just been turned upside down. And then so many people, they just take whatever the doctor says, okay, this is what we're doing. They don't know why they're just kind of going to comply with whatever the doctor says. And there might be some extra questions. So if I do this, then, you know, what can I expect? Mm-hmm. And some doctors are super clear. They've been through it before. So they kind of forget this person is new and it's, it's just, you know, maybe the person doesn't understand the words or they think they know, or maybe something comes up afterwards you know, it's, it's always great to have an advocate in your corner who can be that person. Some people are afraid to ask questions. Mm-hmm. They don't want the doctor to feel as though they're questioning their authority or understanding of things. So, you know, it, it can be a considerable amount to navigate all at once. Absolutely. And there is, you know, a power dynamic there in the room where doctors have high level medical training that the average person does not have. So it is hard to decide what you can kind of push back on or how, how many questions you can ask. And, you know, it makes sense that sometimes that's an intimidating dynamic for some people to, to come up against. And, you know, I'm hoping from what it sounds like you had a, a doctor or a team of doctors who you felt like took the time to answer your questions and explain things to you thoroughly so that you felt confident in what you were going to be doing with your treatment moving forward. Definitely. I, I definitely did take the time to breathe and to, to think about exactly what my next moves would be and to really weigh my options. And I noticed that there are some doctors that I, when I went initially, because I did get a second opinion mm-hmm. and a third, <laughs> but initially, you know, those doctors were very rushed and they were, you know, very annoyed. I mean, a doctor's schedule, I can, I can only imagine. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, some people will take that really personally, like this person doesn't even care that I'm in the room. They're just trying to get to the next person. When in fact, this person might just be, the doctor might be, you know, rushed or, or it's a lot of information. They want to make sure it's all covered and <laughs> before they have to move to the next person. So it, it's always so great when you, when you have people that, you can talk to them outside of the appointment if you get a question or, you know, even if they have a physician's assistant or someone that you can reach out to or an advocate, you know, that that's there to just listen. That's one of the beautiful things I like about Cancer Cares. Your organization does have, you know, people that you can talk to at least for a short period of time and all of that. And I think that's a really beautiful thing and a helpful thing for people who are just really not sure where to turn. And I'm hoping that people will be able to find my YouTube channel and be able to, you know, get some, some tips, some hacks, <laughs> some questions, some something that would be helpful during their journey as well. Yes. And I want to go back to what you had said, because I think it's so important sure. about the fact that you sought out a second and third opinion. And again, that's something that speaking again to those power dynamics with doctors where you're like, oh, I don't know if they'll be offended if I ask for a referral for a second opinion or, you know, it can, it can get kind of sticky. I personally am always trying to empower 
anyone who I come in contact with, you know, if you're at all confused, if you feel like I'm not really sure, I'm not, I'm not so sure about this, seek a second opinion, a third opinion, you know, just get other doctors to weigh in so that you feel fully confident to say, okay, this is the standard of care. This is what I feel good with. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable moving forward with this protocol. So what was that like for you? And did you, you know, experience any difficulty seeking out those, those second and third opinions? No, I felt it was necessary. I was only going to a second opinion because the, the, diagnosis was so harsh. And I thought, well, maybe someone else will see things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So I, I did try to try to go out of the area <laughs> and find someone else to either confirm or, or otherwise that diagnosis and what they would do, you know, if they, they, what their, their type of care would include, if they have like anything else that they, the other doctor wasn't necessarily thinking of or on the same page with you know you never know what bit of information it's all about information gathering at least for me to make the correct decision and the third third person the third doctor came because I was speaking to another patient and they recommended that third doctor Mm. and there was such a comfort level from the very beginning because at the end of the day we are human altogether. So being able to kind of vibe, if you will, with another human being and feel comfort in, in being able to not only ask questions, but just energetically or spiritually, if you will, be able to be on that same page as, as the person and feel like, okay, I'm willing to put my care in, in your hands. I can remember that third doctor, I actually chose a facility because of her and she was the last face before the double mastectomy that I saw. And I looked right into her eyes. She bent over. She looked right into mine. There were no words. We were just, we're good, you know? So I felt that type, that level of comfort. And I was really very grateful to have found her. Well, that's beautiful that, that there was such a sense of safety there. As well. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Especially so because that was my first, like, true illness, my first operation, you know, this was all very new and scary to me. So it, it's funny how that I, I was telling someone else, they were like, wow, that was your first. I said, yes, it, it was kind of like, go, go hard or go home. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't do things in a small way. I have to go big. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and, and you mentioned at some point that you had been sort of active in like fitness spaces. And, you know, I've seen from your infinite being organization that wellness and meditation and mindfulness and holistic care is so important to you and is such a big part of your personal brand, so to speak. And I'm assuming it's a big part of the way you've coped with your own cancer journey. I, I also think such a big misunderstanding culturally is that, you know, people who exercise or people who are fit or quote unquote you know, healthy, like can't get cancer, right? And one of the things that you spoke to in the things not to say to someone who's newly diagnosed was, you know, but, you, but you're but you so healthy, you're the healthiest person I know. <laughs> and how dismissive that can, like, while that might be true, yes, it sounds like you've always really taken such good care of yourself, that can feel really dismissive, right? Definitely. You definitely feel also like, okay, now I'm being punished. <laughs> like, I didn't do anything wrong. It's just 
it happened and this is a new challenge that I'm facing, you know, as opposed to, okay, you know, how did this happen? Let's investigate. I'm curious as well. That's a little bit different. <laughs> right. Maybe a reframe on that. It, it's just very interesting because I, I've heard that as a, a common thing, you know, to, to other people who have faced this as well, regardless as to diagnosis, the stage or the type, you know, these are the types of questions that are generally the ones that people will will have or the statements that they make and it's just it's very I don't know if that's like human nature just don't know what to to say that is why I thought let me help (laughs) let me help (laughs) yes well you are helping that's that's for sure you know and I and I wonder too if some of that has extended even into your having treatment where something I hear a lot from specifically clients of mine who have metastatic breast cancer to where you're, you know, managing that as though, you know, it's a chronic illness over time. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might not sort of bear those markers that we culturally in our society read as someone with cancer, right? You might have all your hair. You might not, quote unquote, look sick, right? right? And I hear <laughs> that a, a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. So someone might say like, well, you don't look like you have cancer, you know, or whatever kind of misinformed, but very well-meaning comment might come, you know, I do find that 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 comes up a lot for my clients with with MBC, where they kind of constantly have to say like, no, no, I'm tired. And or like, you know, no, I, I do still I do still have something going on with my health that is not over and it needs to be taken seriously by, by you. Yes, definitely. People, people forget, pardon me, people forget because you don't have, you don't look like it. Mm -hmm. And so whatever that looks like in their head. Mm -hmm. And so even, even as you're walking through, you know, a day, you might start with so much energy. I don't know if you have chronic fatigue or not. But then all of a sudden that that energy is just zapped and you cannot do anymore and you need to rest. Mm-hmm. And I noticed for myself, I'm a I was a doer for <laughs> for a long time and quite independent. So that was that was rough. Just not having the energy or the strength to do something either then or momentarily or during the process. And having people look at you like, what's wrong? It's just a bottle of water, pick it up or you know, why are you so tired? You were fine just a few minutes ago. So um, it's definitely, it's definitely something I didn't know was going to happen. And definitely something that you have to explain to people, because I don't think most people have an understanding of just how challenging it can be. And especially when you've been the strength or the anchor in your family or your friend group or wherever they expect you to kind of snap out of it. I've heard that too. Why don't you snap out of it? This is should be done now. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's not that easy. You're managing a chronic disease, not, <laughs> not, not a cut. That's, that's so well put. And I think so many people listening to this will feel so seen and heard just hearing, you know, their experience reflected back in your words. Even, even with the operation for the double mastectomy, people thought, okay, well, you got through that. So you're good now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, there, there's actually not only just a healing process physically, there's a whole emotional aspect of that. What does this mean now? How will my life change? Did it change? And, you know, how, how can I deal with that? And 
just ushering yourself into a new life, understanding your need for self-care. There's so many different components. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it's 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 important to make space for every nuance of the experience, even the the time it takes to mourn the loss of of one's breasts after mastectomy or mourning the loss of life as you once knew it, right? Or right. Um, Exactly. Yeah, things changing so radically, you know, there needs to be space to to honor and process that. And that six weeks of recovery time that the doctor gives you after a surgery is only one piece of that recovery period. Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's all about having to navigate that in a way that that works for you, because everyone's different, of course. And understanding that it's okay to take time and have that self-care, that it's not wrong, it's not lazy, you know. And and also, you don't have to rush back to what looks good. I find so many people trying to wear what I'll call the mask Mm. because they don't want other people around them to feel badly. So they kind of save face and look a certain way and present a certain way. And they don't really honor themselves in it. And I think that's all part of it, part of the reason, holding in anger, holding in sadness, and and not being able to process those emotions that get stuck in yourself. Mm-hmm. So it, it's important to to do all of that so that you're completely healed and not, you know, just one part of you taken away. Mm-hmm. You honor the loss and then move forward for what you're going to receive next, which hopefully is some beautiful gift of life and to thrive and to be able to help others through is very important to me. Yeah, so I'm so moved by just seeing how you've taken this experience and really used it to 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 make meaning out of the experience and to to really focus on spreading awareness and helping others. That's such a beautiful way to, you know, make all of this just make some sense, right? Or try to find ways to be of service to others who might be struggling and and need support. And you're also working as a health coach now, I read. Is that right? Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. I thought I'd step into that since it was kind of a (laughs) no-brainer. I was kind of already doing it with the training that I, you know, done for so many years, but this is just yet another facet of wellness. Wow. Wow. And, you know, something that I think can be hard for folks who don't have a background in fitness or don't have a lot of familiarity with mindfulness, you know, breath work, all these tools that you're such a big proponent of. What, what do you say to folks who come to you and they're interested in these you know, ways, these coping tools that you're offering, but they feel intimidated by it, or they think like, oh, I can't meditate, you know, I tried it, and I couldn't get my (laughs) mind to slow down. Like, how do you make this accessible to people? Because I do see that, you know, you want everyone to, to access these, these tools that have helped you so much. Yes, integrating the tools are so important, because there is something that can help you tap into your greatest strength. And that whatever that is, is a practice just for you. And you kind of find it when you explore. That's one of the things that I'm a proponent of, which is to just explore. There are no real rules. For example, you mentioned with meditation. I think that's 
it's gotten a bad rap because like you said, you're trying to quiet that monkey mind, so to speak. You're trying to not have thoughts. Well, we're human. We are going to have thoughts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So for that, you're just kind of, okay, that's a thought. Thanks so much for coming. Maybe we'll explore that later. Maybe we won't. And then you let it go. And then go right back into where you were for your meditation. That's why some of the guided guided ones can be helpful. It gives your mind something like a trigger, an anchor for you to focus on. And then there are things like TM, uh, Transcendental Meditation, which also, but the, the premise is the same, which is that, you know, thoughts are okay. We are human and we're allowed to have them. And when you have the thoughts, it's really just your body's way of throwing off your worry Anything that's going through your mind at the time, maybe an issue that you're having, a lot of time you'll have this meditation and then realize later that, hey, maybe that email wasn't that bad or, you know, I misread something in a text or now that I'm calmer, I can actually feel what is the right choice to make. Mm. So that's why it's so beauty. And there are many mindful practices, grounding, uh, yoga, so many things. So yes, I'm definitely someone who integrates everything because I believe that they're all tools to be used for us to get our our best uh, life, our best uh, effect or our best healing effort. Yeah. And yeah, it sounds like you personally have so many tools in your toolkit. So walk me through if you want, (laughs) please walk me through. So when it's time for you to have a scan, let's say, and that, you know, scanxiety comes up and so many people listening who have cancer or have had cancer will be familiar with that feeling. How do you use those tools to keep you grounded in those high stress, high anxiety moments? For me, it can be different every time, but the main crux is to focus on what you do want, not what you don't want. So the anxiety is, of course, coming from something that doesn't exist. You're, if you're in your present, then there's no what happened last time. And I don't know what it could be. There's no past. There's no future. There's just present. So if you can find your way into your present, maybe that's with meditation. Maybe that's with breathing. I notice with even with fitness, you know, we start working out and we have that Bolsawa uh, <laughs> maneuver where you're holding your breath and you're, you know, not realizing you're holding your breath. Mm. So breathing can be so exceptional in allowing you to access your present moment and it brings down anxiety. Mm. And there are many ways, many types of breathing that you can do before and even during a scan that can help bring that back. I I told a story once to a group I'm a part of through TM with Bob Roth, who is just amazing, an amazing instructor. And I told him that I hadn't gotten in my meditation, my morning meditation. I do that twice a day, 20 minutes. And that morning minute, that scan came at the time where I normally do my morning meditation. So I was a little bit antsy and I couldn't figure it out. They had me in the scan. And then I thought, wait a minute, I'm in this scan. I haven't been able to do anything. And I was starting to get, get a little bit angry (laughs) inside, but it was really directed at having to even go obviously to the scan in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about my breath and then the 
the person who's running the test said, we're going to have about 20 minutes before I need you to lie very still. And just for 20 minutes, you're going to hear knocking and this, that, and the other. And, and I thought, great, perfect, 20 minutes. <laughs> so I meditated for 20 minutes. And I was so surprised when she said, okay, Kimberly, it's time. <laughs> you know? Wow. So, yeah. So it, these are not just tools that I'm, you know, like a heebie-jeebie world or, you know, spiritual mojo or something like that. These are things that actually help our nervous system, as you know, and um, can help calm us and bring us into present moment. So yes, I'm definitely an advocate. <laughs> mm, yeah. And for, and for folks listening who like may not have access to TM transcendental meditation, you know, what it is, 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 is essentially a mantra meditation. So even getting creative, you know, if you don't have that specific training to just pick a mantra, like I am safe and, and repeating that to yourself too, can be quite effective, you know? So, yeah. Or just, as you said, you can inhale, I am exhale safe Hmm. as an anchor. You know, I have so many meditation videos on mine and feel free <laughs> to borrow those, you know, or even, even a short grounding right before you go in and then check what that is on, on the website, on the YouTube uh, channel as well. And that can be just amazing and kind of bring you present as well. Right. And all of these all of these tools you're speaking to and all of these like sort of themes that we're, we're discussing, you know, it, it strikes me that all of them sort of have a common denominator, which is just making space, making space yes. for the feelings, making space for the anxiety, making space for opportunity, making space for others, getting curious, you know, just pausing, taking two breaths before responding you know a lot of what you're saying is so simple and yet it's so difficult (laughs) well we forget Um, right and that's why it's a practice because we do that on a regular basis then our body knows what to do even if our brains forget (laughs) which is a lot of the time when you're going through stress right (laughs) yes 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 Wow. Well, I'm sure so many folks listening to this will just be so curious to, you know, learn more about your work and and what you have to say. Where can they find you? Well, I have a website at infinitebeingllc.com. And then both the Instagram, if you're looking for, you know, that kind of daily cheer <laughs> or upliftment, or if you're looking for hacks and tips or any other type of, of healthy living type videos that would be on, on YouTube, you can go to infinite, infin, I-N-F-I-N, the number eight being, and that's how you reach me. Just Google it. <laughs> I love that name, infinite being, right? It's so, Thank it's you. so hopeful. Was that sort of born of this this experience having cancer, or was that something that you know, resonated with you before, before your diagnosis? Well, I've always loved infinity and I've had that in other businesses, but definitely with, with the challenges of metastatic breast cancer, I realized I was busy doing things. That was kind of my little spiritual check. Like you need to be more present. You need to to follow your own advice and to be healthy in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so that infinite being came about 
through the challenges with metastatic breast cancer. Definitely. We're, we're, we're not doers. We're, we're being, right? Yes. I love that. Yeah. And have you been able to connect with other folks with metastatic breast cancer through your social media platforms and online and such? It, it's not just some, some metastatic breast cancer, people with metastatic breast cancer diagnoses, but it just generally as, as chronic disease is, it, I have a lot, of, a lot of tips and help around chronic disease in general. So I think people sort of gravitate towards myself and towards the, the channels because they're looking for something to help them through. And certainly, hopefully, you know, I've, I've allowed myself or been open and held space enough for others to not only be informed, but to be able to thrive in, in their own challenge. And when they come to you, is there something in particular you find yourself saying to a lot of these individuals who are newly diagnosed, they're feeling afraid, you know, what's something that, you know, you find yourself saying again and again, if you can think of anything, I'm just curious. Mostly to that this is their own experience, that no one else has the same exact experience. And so busy allowing others to judge or them even judging themselves is is not something that they need to continue to to spend time with. That part is the waste of time. What is not is is figuring out your own personal meaning around the chronic disease and realizing that it is just a dis-ease, just a slight ease versus an illness or a sickness and that they are able, if they believe that they are able to get through this, they will get through it. It may not be exactly as they might have thought. They may not be able to just wish things away or whatever, but just going on the journey and getting through it is in fact possible. And when they draw from their own personal inner strength. That's beautiful. Thank you. And- Wow. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you just wanted to make sure was mentioned or said while we have this time together? Not that I can think of other than to say I have had such joy speaking with you today, Rachel, and dealing with a cancer care family. I'm I'm just so grateful for everything, each service, each person that has come into my life. And if there's any way that I could help <laughs> in the future others, please, please don't hesitate to, to reach out because that's what I'm here for in this world. Wow. Well, I'm sure that will be such a great comfort to those listening to this today. And yeah, we're, we're grateful that you're part of the, the cancer care family as well. Yeah. And yeah, thank you for your time. Certainly, certainly. And I guess my sign-off is smooches. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Wow. Well, I just, I really appreciate, you know, the time and and the space this morning. Like, it was just, you have a very grounding energy. So, you know, I think at one point you said, like, holding your breath when you don't even realize you're holding your breath. And I was like, I'm holding my breath. (laughs) So it was helpful for even me. (laughs) Awesome. <laughs>
Thank you so much for your time, Rachel. And I wish you all the best. Thank uh, you. With the podcast and otherwise. Yeah. Okay. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care Podcast. Cancer Care is the leading national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services, including case management, counseling, support groups, educational resources, and financial assistance to anyone affected by cancer. You can visit us online at cancercare.org or call our toll-free Hope line at 800-813-HOPE. That's 800-813-4673 to speak with a master's prepared oncology social worker.